Hello and welcome to the Weekly Review, your regular Friday debrief of things we've heard and seen and people we've spoken to coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. This week I interviewed the lovely and quite inspirational Penelope Barr, experimenter, agilist, entrepreneur, creator and leader. Let's listen in now to Penelope. First of all, Penelope, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be in your fantastic and quite amazing house. Yeah, and you might hear our puppy dog in the background, Chico. On the weekly reboot, we pride ourselves in always having dogs interrupt our (laughs) podcast at all times. There's always a bit of scampering and barking in the background, so that's kind of on brand. So let's just hear a little bit about a background on you and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Um, So I've I've taken a a circuitous route to um, my career. I think that... um, you know, one of the things that, I, that really drives me in any job is the learning opportunity and especially learning product knowledge. So I've quite often taken roles where I didn't really know much about um, the, the product or the, um, you know, the, the subject matter, but that's where I get my real energy. Um, so I've had, I just worked out today, 18 years in financial services, which mm-hmm. seems like a lot. Um, but the thing, when I started at NAB, I worked there for 13 years, the thing that everyone talked to me about was I've been here for X number of years, it was always a long number of years, but I've had many jobs and now I, can, now I say that too. <laughs> but I've worked in really diverse experience, so I, had, I worked on the Sydney 2000 Olympics and I ran the, the Olympic journey which was selling tickets but there were no tickets ready um, to, to people, so then we, we created a processional parade to create interest around um, around the Olympics. I worked in Tokyo for nearly four years where I worked in interpreting and, and translating, um, but I don't have, I don't speak Japanese. So um, I went in and um, helped an organization transform, although it wasn't really called transformation back then. And I also st- started my first startup there, which is called NIM Made in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I imported handmade and homemade goods from Melbourne to Tokyo, which was great fun. Um, then I came back and I worked in a mechanical engineering company and I really loved that experience. And so again, that was where I didn't know anything about mechanical engineering, but I loved the challenge that they were trying to come to grips with, which was basically the expense and the time between sort of specking a job and actually getting paid for it because they have to create these enormous models. And it just so happened there, that there's a lot of serendipity in what, I, what I've done, that at that time, one of the offices was being shared by a video, uh, an industrial designer who also did a little bit of video. And I'd done a tiny little bit of video stuff when I was in Tokyo. So I had this brainwave to create um, virtual models. Um, but again, they weren't called virtual models at that time. It was just basically, let's make a DVD of a model and use that to actually sell the products rather than actually creating these enormous products and models to sell. So that was really fun. And then from there, I went to NAB. Mm which was fantastic because um, we had so much money and it was right on, I, w- I went in there to help um, start internet banking and did the first SMS um, banking transactions and, f- and worked a little bit on national online trading, created the first online application, so mortgages and property and personal loans and credit cards, which was great. And then um, went, from, went to New Zealand and the UK and then ran sort of the global piece there and then um, met my husband in the UK as a result of that, so that was a great byproduct of that um, <laughs> that time, and then that was where I really started to become introduced to agile. So in the UK, I went to a couple of talks around agile and was quite interested in it. So when I came back to NAB, I started at this project with NAB TV, 
and basically the television satellite was about to fall out of the sky and so they said do you think you could help work this out it's like mm, i'll have a go <laughs> and then at the same time there was this great television station at nab that wasn't really integrated into the the rest of the organization and so um also could you run this this part of the business so that was again really really fun and we used some agile there um to basically enable this this um a, a lot of prototyping and enable this project to get done which resulted in advertising screens so the first advertising screens on windows in banking in australia mm. so it was really interesting and also on demand training etc and lots of saving because we were able to then offer a really competitive external product mm. to all of the money being spent with advertising agencies then i left there had a sabbatical which was great had a child which was wonderful um who we named after king lear's good daughter um, and she's generally been pretty good so that was beautiful um and then i went to census where again it was a big agile organization big big challenges and then from there went to super partners again which is a huge challenge so i was brought in to help um, realign the operating model so help sort of make change from a, a master servant relationship to one of um partnership which i enjoyed for a couple of years and we did uh, introduce agile there as well um and then we decided we we're going to take another sabbatical because um, i like like a bit of travel <laughs> like some holidays and um, we're going to southeast asia for about six months because my daughter was going from kindergarten to school mm -hmm. so i did a six-month piece of work with the alana madeline foundation and created their first digital um, product which is called the olympic journey so that's now in all australian schools to help people to help kids become aware of how to be safe online which was great fun so then we traveled and then i came back and Worked at Cogent, um, so that was great. Worked in, and started the services business and helped um, sort of operationalise that business and, and make it more even more successful. Worked with all of Melbourne's leading tech companies, which was great fun. Mm -hmm. um, then had a, a little bit of a hiccup with um, a health issue in terms of my heart, but that's all good now. Um, but that got, got me a whole lot of perspective. And then from then went to, um, was really invited into ANZ to bring my startup thinking and lean and agile experience way before the new ways of working transformation. So the first job I had there was sort of carte blanche to, to create more of an incubator, mm -hmm. um, lots of um, prototypes and all sorts of things and just sort of um, enable people to understand um, how to work differently and, and how to, I was really invited in by technology to change how we were changing. Mm -hmm. And so that was great. And then from there I moved to the new ways of working transformation program, which is big the, you know, one of the biggest corporate experiments in Agile ever. So that's been fun. And um, now I'm uh, footloose and fancy free. Absolutely. And meantime, I've created a couple of startups. Yeah, well, yep. a couple of startups. Mm. So um, quite a diverse background. Mm. And um, yeah, your first business from Japan. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that gives you a, a different perspective on, you know, working with these technology teams and their ways of working and... Just giving that more of a commercial lens to everything. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I'm very, I'm highly pragmatic, mm. um, but creative. So I think that you know, in in terms of constraints, I think that constraints are really important in terms of enabling you to get something done. So um, I think the commercial aspect comes from sort of understanding the limits that you've got to work within, mm -hmm. but also if you want to grow understanding what, what foundation you're growing from, mm -hmm. or if you're in, in somewhere, if you've been brought in somewhere to transform, 
understand what commercial outcome or people outcome, et cetera, you're trying to get to. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, I've had um, lots of, I've lived over, lived and worked overseas in I think four or five countries. So um, I think, you know, understanding cultural differences is important, but I think some of them are way more interesting, but also more rudimentary than you think. Mm -hmm. So one of my biggest blunders ever Oh, not really ever, but it was a it was a, a quite an interesting corporate um, cultural blunder. Was when I was working in the UK and I was working in London, Leeds, and Glasgow, and we were having a huge strategic meeting for over a couple of days in um, in Leeds, and all of the um, top execs were coming in, and I was running it. And it was one of the first things I'd done when I when I went to the UK um, with NAB. And um, one of the things that obviously had to be organised was catering. And so I'd been told to organise bacon butties for the morning for breakfast because everyone would have flown in or, or travelled by train. And I thought, no, no, that's white rolls, bacon and butter. That's not going to set people up for a great day. <laughs> so I, instead, I organised beautiful pastries and fruit platters and... <laughs> thinking that was way better for everybody um, and everyone would really enjoy it. Basically, we ended up running that for those three days behind by about two hours because there was such uproar when people arrived and there were no bacon butties <laughs> that I had to then go and get some made and we couldn't start until people had had their bacon butty. <laughs> and I didn't know that you had to have brown sauce with it, so then I had to find, try and find brown sauce. It was ridiculous. So I think that... Um, you know, each team has its own culture, and mm. I, I don't think you know. Sometimes we talk about culture as if it's it's as if it's one definition, mm. and if it's a as if it's a universal definition. And you know, while there are theoretical definitions, when it gets down to it, it's how every team works around here, mm. and each of those is different. So when you're coming in somewhere new, you have to take some time to understand that, and then work out if that's the right fit for the you know, to deliver on the vision going forward. And if it's not, then work out what, what needs to change. Yeah. yeah. And even when we were walking back from the shops, you talked about helping uh, tiny businesses as well as these great big jobs that you mm. do as well. Um, great big jobs that have lots of money, like at the NAB and ANZ, and these tiny businesses that yeah. work on a shoestring and you're happy to go in and consult yes. with those small yeah. ones and the big ones. Yeah, yes. Is, is it the same kind of... Is it the pragmatism that allows you to do that or...? Um, you just I, kind of focus in on what's important here? Yeah, part of it is um, I... Sorry, that's a <laughs> bit of tap dancing. <laughs> um, I think I just get a real... I get real joy and interest from learning new things. And so if somebody, like I was talking about helping a fashion designer, haute couture fashion designer at the moment, um, streamline her work... So she can really focus all her energies as a, as a sole practitioner on making the most beautiful garments available or possible. So that's really interesting for, to kind of work with someone who's so focused on um, making beautiful, making somebody else's dreams come through by, by making something beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm happy helping a couple of people at the moment with some luxury um, products and that was inspired by my time in Sri Lanka mm -hmm. recently where I um, learned about a whole lot of interesting spices and all sorts of things that can that can really help from a health um, perspective and then I just happened to be talking to someone and this is where the serendipity comes who is working in trying to release um, a, a luxury product 
Um, so I'm, I'm helping with that and I'm doing a little bit of work with another friend who's um, got another accessories business and that sort of thing. So I, I do just, in, I really enjoy um, learning about the way that people live mm -hmm. and um, if I can help doing that. I mean, my husband constantly says, there you go with um, providing your unsolicited opinion again. But I think it's generally, um, if it's invited in, that's great. But otherwise, I think that um, I do have a real continuous improvement mindset. Yes. Um, and I always have, and I've yeah. always been able to see a couple of steps ahead. So I think that that just um, enables me to um, help if I can. Yeah. And I, hopefully, I, th I, you know, I hope I'm helping most of the time. Sometimes I'm not. And then people are very welcome to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you just mentioned a couple of things. Like, I can't help but notice your house is very beautiful architecturally, but also decorations-wise. And so are you. So are you. Um, and you're helping a, a, some of these fashion brands, but you also have your own brand as well. So tell me about Beautiful Agile. Yeah, so Beautiful Agile, I started last year. And I really started that in response to the same sameness of people using the same products to create um, virtual walls and to write storyboards and that sort of thing and so because I love colour and movement um, but also because we're trying to get people to change and think differently and behave differently I felt there was space for a bit more colour and movement in um, the tools which are mainly you know cards and and notebooks and tapes and that sort of thing so there's a real focus on on the visual elements but it's also obviously underpinned by knowledge and um, the work that I do. Mm. So yeah, so I sell that to individuals, but it's, I mean, it's basically talking about how to be beautifully productive for, for coaches, teams and families. And so I have a couple of corporate clients, so Booper is one of my clients, which is great, but I equally sell to individuals as well. And I exhibit at conferences and that sort of thing as well. But yes, it's when we were talking before about helping lots of people, mm. one of the things that that does is takes lots takes a lot of time and so it takes a lot of time from things like my businesses but yeah so I'm I'm going to put a bit more focus back onto onto that because I love I love those products that I've created yeah. and I think that they there is a place for them yeah definitely mm. um now you've been in major corporations in pretty senior roles which you just told us about it takes a certain amount of grit and determination so um how do you survive in those places and still feel like you're making progress when progress can be slow and another part two to that question is does it matter to have a great boss or or is it that internal reserve something that you, you get from yourself just dropping in here to remind you that the weekly reboot will be recording a session live at last conference this year that's right ed o'shaughnessy and i will be chatting to a panel of luminaries about the good the bad and the ugly of the past decade of scaling agility check out our show notes to get a link to last conference, which will be on the 30th of July. How do you, how do you survive? Is it, how do you make progress? How do you make progress? Um, I how think, do you not feel like blowing your brains out? Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you hit bureaucracy and just large company um, reality. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things that I like about working in big organisations is you do meet lots and lots of people. And I love, I get a lot of energy from other people's ideas um, as well. but. In order to be able to channel that energy and to optimise it effectively, you've got to have a really strong sense of yourself, but also of the part that you're playing in, in an organisation's future. Mm. 
So, you know, whenever I talk about our kind of leadership style, my leadership style is um, I try to enable an, um, an environment where people come to work with a sense of purpose and leave with a sense of accomplishment. Um, and I think that to do that, you need to create um, with the team a very strong vision of what, you know, what you're striving for. But then that has to be underpinned by some shared values and some shared principles because you only go to those when times are tough mm. um, and if you don't have them then something is really missing and so how do I keep myself um, interested because I'm, I'm always attracted to um, either transformation roles or growth roles and so it's not the status quo um, and so for me a lot of my career has been about um, going into a place that that needs that needs to be transformed or um, where there's an opportunity to create a product um, or create a new idea or create a new way of working and then enable other people to come along on the journey and hopefully that will have a, a customer impact as well. Mm. Yeah. And um, what about a boss? Is it important to you? to Do you get attracted by who's hiring or are you pretty self-sufficient? Um, it's a combination. So, I mean, having a, a, a sort of... I put a boss and a, and a good team around you is really is really important because you need um, you need some people that you can really share with and who can challenge you and not that you, not that your team doesn't mm. but um, at a at a different level and probably in a different way. Um, so yeah, I do I do look for um, what I can learn from anyone that I'm encountering. And so, and that's really true of a boss. So I'm looking for some inspiration um, always when I'm when I'm um, working. But I'm also really attracted always to the the organisational challenge that I'm going to be solving, and that's probably the key driver. And then, you know, the real luxury and great thing is when you get to recruit your own teams, mm. um, and that's always fantastic because then you can you can um, really I like to really challenge myself, and then in terms of what what team I can create and set different challenges um, for myself around that in terms of, you know, really making sure that I'm, I'm recruiting for diversity and really making sure that I'm taking on people that, um, from a potential point of view, but then, you know, you've really got to have the time to optimise that potential and maximise it. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of time, I remember you once saying you like to have lots and lots and lots of things on your backlog because then you don't spend too much time working on the things that are in progress. Yeah. Um, that's one way of doing it. <laughs> so how do you carve out time in that, in that kind of, I guess, mindset? Um, so I sort of ebb and flow. So I do, I'm very organised. So I've always got a range of things happening. Um, but I do try to make sure that I've got some time. And sometimes it comes in terms of you don't get as much sleep. Mm. But sometimes, um, you know, it means that, you know, it, it, I, I'm, I'm actually reflecting on that at the moment, whether or not I um, take a bit more time with fewer things and whether or not that will yield a different, different approach. Mm. So I am, I am questioning some of that because I think that um, I, I'm never mindlessly busy. Like mm. I've, I'm always purpose, or, well, not never, but rarely, because I've always got so many interesting things to do. Mm. Um, and asked, I'm asked to do lots of interesting things, which is great. But um, I also, I do, I do have a little bit of time to be, but mm. I'm looking for a little bit more of that at the mm. moment because, 
you know, one of my goals for this year has been to medicate, meditate, not medicate. I do, I do have a lot of medication, but that's not a goal. Um, but to to meditate um, consistently, mm. and because it's something I've just never been able to do. Um, I can, I can get very quiet, but that skill um, is something I'd really like to like to um, um, learn. And so I'm trying to trick myself to say, well, actually just being still and really mm. zoning out is a form of meditation and also walking can be a form of moving meditation. Mm-hmm. But really, that's just, that's just scooting around <laughs> the fact that I... You can't uh, sit down for 10 minutes. I, I, no, I can. <laughs> I can. But um, it's just... I can because I, you know, I read a couple yeah. of books a week and that sort of thing. So I have a range of things that enable me to, to be quiet mm. but that absolute stillness mm. that I see some people that some people can achieve mm. is something that I'm I'm really um, hankering for yeah mm. yeah have you tra- have you thought about going one of those retreats I have thought about that um, and I'm I am actually having a look at one of those at the moment a bit yeah. bit I thought I should try I don't know I'm, I'm I, quite often I'll just throw myself in and so I'm thinking about that or would I try to learn a little bit more first, first yeah. yeah. I, I think I made the mistake of asking a friend of mine in detail, and she told me in detail how it went down for her right. every day, and it's put me off a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, a little bit of pleasure and pain. I mean, one of the stories she told me was that, you know, you'd go on these walks, you're not allowed to talk to each other mm. at all during this thing, and she'd go on these walks, and um, she she was having a real hard time, in it, and she would be crying in her room, and her roommate... Oh. She said that um, when she was on a walk, she found that someone had left a mandarin, knowing that she was going to walk there. This little act oh. of kindness. Oh. And I thought, wow, I'll probably go to some dark places. <laughs> you feel the mandarin <laughs> that's been left for you is uh, it's the thing that saves you. But anyway. So you've been a leader for a while now, large teams, complex teams. How do you think you learn about leadership? What makes you a good leader? Yeah, so I've got four sisters. So there are five of us in six years, myself and my older sister, so I'm second. We were always the big girls and the, other, the rest of the sisters were always the little girls. So, um, you know, for my mum, five kids in, in six years meant that there was immediate delegation of many, many tasks um, to myself and my sister. And so I think, um, and we also lived in a court. So we had all the kids from all around the neighbourhood um, who would come and play and quite often myself and my sister were the oldest. And so really the parents all delegated to us to make sure that people were happy, um, you know, that whatever concert we were organising, um, everyone had a part, um, that people would then kind of come and, um, you know, go home, do, do their part and go home happy. And so I think that's really influenced... Um, my sense of leadership in terms of trying to make sure that that everyone's involved um but that you kind of have a bit of a plan as well so um but also you know i'm from a big family and we're we're used to having big dinners and lots of people around all the time so it's about sort of just scooping everybody up and making sure people are are fed and cared for and that sort of thing so there's a little bit of that but then it's also about, you know, what, what, what's the objective that we need to achieve? And so how do we, how do we sort of get there together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what drives you nuts when you're in a leadership position? Hmm. Um, well, I think, hmm, what drives me nuts? What frustrates you? Yeah. What's disappointed you? I think sometimes the pace, um, the, 
or the the pace can either be too fast or too slow um, or the, like changes of direction can really so big changes of direction strategically that catch people unawares um, is a little bit frustrating or is, is very frustrating and I think I've seen that happen a few times um, and whilst I understand that you know from an organizational point of view um, things need to change and and sometimes people people can't be informed mm. um, I think that you know there's there's a lot of waste in in um, that kind of um, that kind of U-turn, mm. but I think I think waste in general. You know, mm. when you kind of see lots of time taken um, for people kind of talking around something when really a good a good chat over a coffee might might do something better. Um, you might be able to cut through a bit more effectively. Lots of emails back and forth when you know you can get up and chat to somebody. Um, lots of real um, questioning and curiosity and being a bit more brave about questioning why we're doing anything um, and sort of, you know, people are getting better at that, mm. but it hasn't always been um, that way. Um, yeah, other than that, I think, mm, you know, frustration is probably not enough time in the day, yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. <laughs> not enough years in a lifetime, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so you're a person who's been a catalyst for change at lots of places and you seem to be just a walking catalyst in some ways <laughs> um, and new ideas that you've formed or championed inside a place. Um, but I wanted to ask you in particular about the reskilling accelerator at ANZ and how you got that idea off the ground. I know it's almost like a second iteration of, a, mm. of an idea, so I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, so um, at ANZ for the first time, there's there are equal men, equal um, men and women, equal numbers of men and women, um, I hope they're equal as well, um, <laughs> on the technology leadership team. That's and fabulous. Yeah, it's great. And so one of the questions that, um, you know, is often asked in technology, as we know, is um, what's the gender split, especially at a, especially at a senior level, but in general, um, in particular areas. And um, ANZ, like everyone, was all, is, has also been looking for, to increase the number of engineers um, and software engineers um, in the organisation. So, looking at all of these things together, um, I was asked whether or not there is something I could do from a um, more sustaining point of view, and that's then the, re the idea of the reskilling accelerator was born. So, it was quite different um, in the way that we created it, but also in, um, in just the, the idea, um, because we, um, you know, I was, I was asked to help solve this challenge. And then at the same time, we were doing career expos at um, ANZ as a result of, um, in support of the um, big organisational change. And so what those were, were a real opportunity for people to see what kind of roles they um, might be able to um, apply for and what the new organisation was going to look for. And it was a global, global piece. So it's fantastic in terms of um, enabling people to really um, see what a new organisational design could look like. And so there was a real opportunity there to see, to test the waters and say, would anybody be interested in a reskilling program? So basically coming in with no technology background and being trained to become a software engineer. Mm -hmm. So um, we had a, we used Lean Startup um, to basically say, what's our goal? 
um, let's, what's our hypothesis? Now, our first hypothesis was, um, you know, if we asked people, they would tell us if they were interested or they weren't interested. And so we basically created a poster and had a sign up sheet at these career expos. And we got 670 people who were interested, wow. which was pretty amazing. So that was, that was quite overwhelming actually, because um, we were, you know, we'd created a script for the people. So we had people on the, each of the, the booths um, or really standing in front of the poster next mm. to the sign up sheet. Um, and we'd said to them, it's, it's a real job. You know, um, people would get paid to do this job. And then after the training, they would then work in a team as a software engineer. It's not a training program. Mm. So initially we had a couple of people who were signing up thinking that they wanted to learn different skills and they thought it was a training program. But even with those people, it was, there were very few. And so there was a huge number of people who um, were still very interested. And so then our next hypothesis was, um, if we actually advertise this as a real role, would people apply for it? So we did that and then we got about, I think about 120 people who applied. And so then we had to go through a process and we, the process we wanted to, to undertake was quite different to a standard process and even different to the, the different processes that ANZ was using to recruit, which were also pretty interesting. Because we needed to be able to um, be really clear with people that it was a learning journey that they were going to go on mm -hmm. for six months. And that's not something that if you've been, you know, uh, um, you know, in the middle of a, at, in the middle layers of an organization, or if you've been in the organization for a while, going back to learning anything as a real beginner is mm -hmm. quite a hard thing to do. And so we're trying to spend a bit of time talking to people about what the experience might be like. At the same time as we didn't really know what it was like because mm. we're doing this so quickly. For the first time. So. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that you know, we have to, do, have to talk about is that from a leadership point of view, um, the leaders who were supporting this as well weren't really able to get a, um, all of the information um, at the same time because we were going so quickly because mm. the whole thing happened in, in weeks, wow. you know, days and weeks. Every, every day was changing. So we said we ran it all from an, um, from an agile perspective and had our um, daily stand-ups and that sort of thing. And each day we were having to achieve lots and lots of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically we then interviewed um, a range of people, got it down to um, uh, kind of uh, just to saying we'd, we'd run a cohort in Melbourne and one in Bangalore because that was where the most interest was. And, um, and then we brought in um, some people from, from external people to help us with what we call an ANZ Create Day. And so we wanted to see basically people in the wild. So mm. would they actually be able to learn a new language, a new um, mm. competing language in a day? Yeah. Um, and um, obviously not learn it, learn it um, you know, in any level of detail, but how would they respond to that challenge? individually working in small teams working with external people what kind of questions would they ask etc because the hypo the overarching hypothesis we were running was that if you are that there are there are sort of about six qualities that make a good engineer and all of the engineers will agree or not but mm -hmm. you know things like um collaboration grit creativity um passion um tinkering and something else which I've forgotten um, and so they were the attributes that we were looking for people and so we were saying you know if you're a, if you're a good baker you would you would be on oh, experimentation I think yeah. um, if you're a good baker you know that that fits if you if you do some other craft that fits if you draw if that fits mm. you might be doing your own 
um, computer work at home. So all of those things fit because art and grit. I'm not sure if I said grit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we wanted people who had that combination of attributes because we felt that they would be the things that would sustain people um, through the, the learning journey, mm -hmm. but then beyond, because obviously after six months, you're not, you're not, you know, six years, six months does not an engineer make. Okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, so then we recruited people on that basis, had this day, got the mentors, the external mentors to provide feedback as well, and then, then did a final interview. And then after that, we basically had a six month um, program, which was a combination of external training and some internal training and then some support from vendors, etc. So yeah, it's been really interesting mm. to do that. And so we had 23 people, we had 24, but one guy moved on, um, 23 people who um, got through the program and are now working as engineers. Saw them graduate. Great. It was yeah. just fantastic to hear the stories in their own words mm. as well yeah. um, from the career that they'd come from. And more than one of them said, Penelope told us to come in every day and learn and mm. get paid to learn. What a privilege. Yeah. This little scampering Chica. fellow here is very cute. What, uh, what's the thing that fires you up and gets you raring to go every day, even when you know it's going to be a tough day? Hmm. Sometimes so you drive into work and you're like a little bit dreading it. Yeah. Well, sometimes the tough days are the things that, that do get me going. Um, just because I like to see, I like to challenge myself. Um, but I think I, I always have to have a clear sense that I'm contributing and that I'm, I'm being quite purposeful in what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, I always take it time in the beginning and then, you know, re refine as we go to, to be really clear on the vision that's been set. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm usually, I'm fired up until the, the, literally the point that I'm not. Right. And then it's time to, it's time to say, okay, that was fun. Yeah. Let's look around for something else. Mm. Yeah. So you say that you love a challenge. You mm. like to challenge yourself. Mm. So is that what's kind of going through your head if you know it's going to be a challenging day or a challenging mm. period of time? Is it, yeah, I'm I just, going to learn something? Yeah, I do try to set myself um, those things. So as a family, for example, we do, um, every night we do our top five. So we, we before for dinner, we um, share with each other the top five things in the day. Okay. Um, and we've, we've been, my husband and I did that before we had a daughter, but we do that now as a family. But we started that because, you know, it's like when you come home, you're like, oh my God, it was such a terrible day. It's actually, it's never that bad. And so um, I think the thing for me is always thinking about, okay, if I've got something horrible that I've got to do, what's, what's the best way that I can do it? Um, or if this is something for the first time, you know, how might I try this? Or if it's something I'm doing again, what did I learn from the last time that I might either include or exclude in this, this time? So um, I think it's really, I'm not deeply reflective, mm. I wouldn't think, but actually as I'm hearing myself speak, Maybe I actually am more well, reflective. If you've got <laughs> a habit of reflecting every night on five things, you probably are. But that's the beauty of those things, right? Because yeah. it's almost like a, a tiny little hack. That yes. You've hacked on yourself. Yeah. So I, I think I probably am. So that's what keeps me interested in, um, in pursuing. But then you've also got to know when enough is enough. When mm -hmm. you're thinking, okay, I could continue um, doing this and it's really not going to have any impact. Um, and so, you know, you've got to, you've got to kind of know, know for yourself what that looks like. Mm. And I think that's it. That's an individual thing. Yeah. 
and maybe this is unrelated, but we talked briefly before about having equal men and women in leadership in technology. Mm. Um, do you think it's still, this might be a leading question. Yes. Do you think it's still difficult for women to fully express their ambition and determination in those environments? Yes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, well, I think it's, I actually think it's difficult for everybody. Yeah. Um, because you've got to be, you've got to be really courageous to be able to express yourself fully and openly. So I think that's, that's hard to do sometimes, mm. but you know, ideally you've got, you're in an environment where you can do that. Mm. Um, do you I th think men though are almost expected to do that more? Um, I think probably, I think, I think sometimes the sheer weight of numbers does become grinding. You know, if I reflect on, um, all of the roles I've had, I've often been the only woman or one of a couple of women, um, n not only just in a leadership team, but in in the organisation or in the, you know, in the technology domain. Mm. And so, you know, that's, that, um, that's kind of fine until you really start thinking about it. Mm. And then, um, and, and it just means sometimes you have to you have to work harder to um, communicate effectively, because knowing that everyone's not going to get you all the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'd be it would be nice, you know. And I think there there are, when you speak to younger women, um, they don't seem to well they seem they seem to be having better experiences, and I hope that except that you know statistic we know statistically that. You know, things like, the, yeah. Yeah, and things like the pay gap is still 192 years until yeah, yeah. Um, there'll be equal pay, etc. And so you're thinking, well, there's still, there's still a long way to go. Um, and then whenever there's, you know, something online, um, you know, s some people's opinions are so strong. Mm. Like, whoa, you know, where does that come from? Mm. So there's still, there's still a, long, a long way to go. Mm -hmm. um, but I, think, I do think that, you know, from when I started in my career to now, it is a, it's a different environment. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably just time for one more, if you don't mind. Um, what's on your bucket list to do that you haven't done? Um, well, actually, I just, just ticked off one thing on my bucket list that I've always wanted to, to do, which is to meet someone who um, is, was playing in a, an orchestra who played the, the triangle because... Um, <laughs> I go to the symphony and I have for years and I'm always um, very excited but also incredibly anxious whenever there's a piece that requires the percussion section to, to enter, especially the people playing the triangle because they have to count every single beat until they're one or two dings and the pressure of that, I've always thought, must be enormous. Right. Because equally, if you don't hit it right, you don't make the right sound. So um, I've always wanted to meet somebody who was doing that role and talk to them about whether or not this thing that I'd built up in my head was just something of my, a figment of my imagination or if it was real. And a couple of weeks ago at a, a pizza, Friday pizza thing, I met someone who just resigned from the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra because of the stress of playing the triangle. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe it. So <clears throat> it apparently is a thing for people who 
have those kind of roles because you've got to count, count um, so many beats and come in exactly and, and hit um, exactly as the note is supposed to be played. And um, she was reflecting that, the, you know, the ire from the conductor and oh, others in the orchestra, if you don't meet it, was just was so stressful that she's, she's chosen to resign. So, yes, yeah, so I was able to tick that off, um, <laughs> which was great. Um, I've been to um, 52 countries and there's a lot more that I want to, um, I want to go to. So that's, I've got a kind of travel bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to... I'd like to build a, a pool on our um, <laughs> third floor here, but um, I'm not allowed to do that apparently. Um, <laughs> but in terms of jobs, I guess there's nothing that it doesn't. It doesn't seem like the person you would rule out anything. No, if no. Someone came so, you with an opportunity. Yeah, so I'm open to um, lots of you know anything that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm I'm actually uh, about to do my personal OKRs. Uh-huh. So. That may help with my next sort of bucket list iteration. But, um, yeah, I think I'm, you know, I've, I've had a pretty pretty good life, actually. So I've, I've done, done lots of things that I've set out to do. Um, and so there's nothing I'm really questing for at the moment. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Penelope, thanks so much for your time. I'd love Thank to you. catch up with you in a few months and see where, you, where you've ended up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks. Well, that was Penelope. Like I said, very inspirational, entertaining, and just lovely to talk to her and meet Chico, her puppy. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Reboot, your regular Friday debrief of things we've heard and seen coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. Tune in again next Friday for the Weekly Reboot. Ciao for now. The Weekly Reboot is brought to you by Last Conference.